Is the doctor joining us tonight? He is. He is. He's do. He's he's becoming Mister What If. He's he's bringing an issue of <laughs> what if what if Karen Page lived? What if Bill brought a book to the show? <laughs> Back to the bin. Uh, How do do I work with such temperamental talent? (laughs) I'm adding him in whether he likes it or not. (laughs) Hello. Where the hell were you? You didn't give me a start time. We were worried sick. We were calling the hospitals. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, I'm when um I called you, that was me that called you this morning, Scott. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but... I know. You called me and immediately it was like, uh yeah, I can't talk. Bye. <laughs> well, th- yeah, I know because as soon as I hit dial for you and you went to pick up. Then I my... realized I didn't want to talk to you. So <laughs> no. My my work well, phone called. Fine, call, man, fine. My work phone called and I had to take that call. So I was, that's why I was, I was like, uh, now, what about if I call and you don't have to take the call? You know, I mean, <laughs> actually, if you would call, well, you know what? Then if I say that, then you, you should say, then why didn't you hang up with them other people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In, in, in yeah. some circles, Scott is considered to be a two true freaks boss. So he the boss you, you shouldn't be blowing him off. So yeah, that's the boss of me. Yeah, that's it, man. Ugh. All right, dive into this sucker whenever you guys are. Now I'm just hanging uh, while you guys discuss your uh, video game, Jonesing. <laughs> well, you could listen. You could listen. I, you know, you already got me listening to the stupid anime show. <laughs> hey, you already have me listening to one show that covers a topic I know nothing about and honestly don't really care too much about. Now you want to give me another one? Uh, did you listen? Why to do you cover a topic book? I actually like? Did you listen to Comic Book Fight Club yet? Not yet. Wow. Is that really? out? What was yeah. it? Jimmy Olsen against... Uh... Jimmy Olsen against Archie... Uh, Archie Andrews. Archie Andrews. Uh, Omicron versus Galactus. And... That one I couldn't even have an opinion on. And what was the other one? Shoot, I can't remember. I, I just listened to it and I'm blanking out. We also out. Should, ha- you know, we should, we should put some real life in there. Have like Gene against Hero. <laughs> I will bring that up because they, they're going to record again tomorrow night and they want me to be on there. What's tomorrow's topic? Tomorrow is going to be Snorks versus Smurfs. Okay, I have no opinion. Mephisto versus John Constantine. Uh, I'm not up enough on Constantine. Go ahead. I'm not either. So, I mean, I think I'm just going to go with Mephisto because, oh, I don't know, he's the devil. (laughs) I mean, that's the way I look at that one. Um, And I think the main bout, hold on, I'm trying to check because I thought there was four. Oh, wait, no, that was Gene that messaged me. Hold on. Gene. Gene said, oh, okay, yeah. Smurf versus Snorks, Mephisto versus Hellblazer, Batman versus Doctor Doom. That one I like. And World War Hulk version of the Hulk versus Doomsday. Hmm, okay, that's interesting. There's a few interesting ones in there. Doesn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, and I think that should be like the, uh, on the, on the ad for the show. Paul Spataro, it doesn't suck. <laughs> Ooh, somebody created a drone. Somebody, oh my God. Oh, sorry. Somebody created a drone 
they created a Star Destroyer shell and they made a drone, an Imperial Star Destroyer drone. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so back to the bins. <laughs> oh, sorry. What? Oh, back to back to bins. Back we to, need to get to started, bins. otherwise, yeah, yeah. otherwise we're never gonna actually make a show. And we're gonna we're gonna get to the point where oh well, look at that, we're out of time, and Scott doesn't get to do his book again. <laughs> you're second today, so you're yeah, you're second. Bookless Bill would be out of luck. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, <clears throat> you want hey, me to bring everybody. it in? No, huh? no, 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 I got it. You got it. You got it. You run. I got it. Buddy. I got it. You go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Scott Hot Rod Gardner. Joining me, as always, are my very good friends Paul <laughs> Ramrod Spataro. <laughs> Hello, and Bill Nimrod Robinson. <laughs> Thanks, I think. Why couldn't I be pudgy coffee drinking watcher? <laughs> I've been waiting all day to say that. And I almost cut you out of it. <laughs> I was oh, close to your, your entire day's worth of enjoyment. You know, I don't think we have time for Scott's book. Oh. <laughs> hey, so, at least what are we I doing today, guys? Book. I'm sorry, what was that? I said, at what least are we I doing? brought a book. Hey, I got a book. Smart ass. <laughs> Got your book right here, upside your head. <laughs> you big dummy. <laughs> so what did so, you say, Paul? I was, I was waiting for, for one of you to say, today is our shameless, obligatory coattails writing episode of Daredevil. This is our Ooh. first one where we're doing something that is not a uh, major motion picture. We're doing it for a TV series, a Netflix TV series. Uh, has that debuted yet? No, no. April. April 14th, I think, or the 20th. So it's coming. It's coming very, very soon. And it's like, what, 13 episodes? Bam! All all at once. I'm going to be... Well, I mean, I'm going to try and watch them as as quickly as I can, and you know, as long as I'm still awake enough to to take it all in. (laughs) That's going to be the problem. I'm not going to be able to just do it all, you know. It's going to take me a few days to do it, I'm sure. Plus, you're going to have to stay away from, I don't know, you're going to have to stay away from, from Facebook. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So they're dumping all 13 at once? Yeah, yep. that's what they do on the Netflix series. Wow. So maybe what, you know what? Maybe you should watch it like um, Zero Hour or that, uh, what was it, the Countdown series they did. Watch the last episode first and go all the way. Just watch them in reverse order. <laughs> you, you would almost think their server would crash when they're doing that, that there'd be too many people jumping in to watch them too quickly. But they managed to do it. I mean, they did it with Arrested Development. They do it with... Uh, uh, what's the series with uh, Kevin Spacey? All of some. Yeah, but this is a Marvel series. I mean, this. Well, might... Arrested Development was very, very much anticipated, though. Mm. Never watched. I know this episode. is a Marvel series, and this is probably going to be the biggest one yet. But Arrested Development was a very, very popular show. So mm. you know that I know a lot of people who were watching that as soon as it was posted, and then they didn't have any problems with it crashing. Now, is this considered to be a, a full season or a half season? No, this is considered to be a full season. Wow. Now. What what are your expectations on the show? I you ask him. I don't really have any. I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm sure it'll be good. I mean, I, I don't expect to see certain things. I'm just going to see what they give me and just go from there. I mean, I'd like to. I mean, I'm like, I don't. It's my understanding it's going to be more street level, so I don't expect to see a lot of um, crazy daredevil foes like maybe the gladiator. I mean, 
Well, no, I think you're just going to see Bullseye and the Kingpin. I think that's the only two mm. classic villains that you're going to see. Who do they have for the Bullseyes in this? I don't know. I'm, I'm just oh, making okay. an assumption. I'm not looking at a cast list, which oh, maybe gotcha. I should. Oh. Like, While I we're know talking, Stick is in it. They've got Scott Glenn as uh, Stick. Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be good. I think that's good casting. Scott Glenn is a that, good actor. Yeah, he is. And that's the part of the of the thing that kind of sold me because, um, well, you know, full disclosure, Daredevil, not my favorite superhero by quite a stretch with all apologies to our friend uh, J. David Weider. I, I've never thought a, a hell of a lot about Daredevil. And I know I talked a lot about this at some point when we covered a Daredevil book in the past. So I don't want to you know, retread the same territory. But this was one. This was one of those projects that, when it was announced, I was kind of like, "Nah, I don't know about that one." But then I, I watched the trailer, and you know, when the trailer came out, and everybody was so excited about it, and seeing Scott Glenn, you know, just just seeing him got me excited. But then seeing him as Stick was like, "Okay, I think I'm going to have to dive in on this and at, at least give it a whirl," because uh, that intrigues me greatly. So we'll we'll see. But it, it looks. Very interesting. I, I well, like I'm, the I'm style of it. I'm expecting a basically straight up adaptation of the Frank Miller Daredevil. For better right. or for worse, I think that's that's what we're getting. I'm glad you said it that way because that's kind of how I feel about Frank Miller's Daredevil. Is that you know it's good and bad. You know, there's, there's I, good things, there's bad things. The problem with with Frank Miller's Daredevil is much like Frank Miller's Batman. Is that as soon as he did his thing, then that became the version. And, That's almost what I was just going to say. I was going to say my yeah. problem with the Frank Miller Daredevil, because I think it's wonderful, but my problem with it is people think that's all Daredevil is. That that's the only thing that's ever happened in Daredevil. Exactly. And the character existed for what? A uh, hundred and what? A hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty issues yeah. before he got there. Yeah. So the, what is that? That's at least 10 years. It's mm -hmm. like 11 years. That's crazy. But yeah. yeah. And, and and that's the thing I think that's been a problem with the character since then is everybody's tried to repeat hit what he did instead of just doing their own take until uh, until Mark Wade got there in the last few years because he's kind of brought it back to what it used to be before Frank Miller got there and everybody says oh right. this is you know the happy go lucky Daredevil well not really I mean Wade is piling some shit on him but he's not it's not all dark like it was under uh, right. Which I appreciate. I pu I punched up the IMD page for the series, mm -hmm. and I'm just looking for villains now. I see Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk. We have Bob Gunton, who I don't even know who he is, as Leland Owls Owlsley. So that's the owl. Ooh. Uh, I know I saw. Okay, Matt Gerald is Melvin Potter. He's the gladiator. Oh. Hmm. Who's playing the jester? <laughs> Probably the same guy who's playing the matador. Mark Hamill? Oh, oh wait, that's that's the trickster. Sorry. I'm looking to see if I see any other villain names, at least that I recognize, and so far, no. Now, with my very limited knowledge of Daredevil, correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't he have a pretty lame ass <laughs> Rogues Gallery anyway? For the most stands? part. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, even even the Owl is kind of a lame villain. Oh, I like the Owl though. I do too. I, I like I, who? There are lame villains that I like. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but who? he's kind of a lame villain. Who? I mean, I sorry. I, I freely admit he's pretty lame. God damn it, Bill! He's finally got that. It took me a minute. I'm sorry. I'm pretty thick. No, I got it the first time, but it's funny because he started doing that, and I immediately thought of the uh, the wise the owl from the from the oh, wise uh, yeah. potato chips. <laughs> oh man.
I was thinking of the, uh, I think it's a Geico commercial. Oh, it's yeah. Two owls in the tree, and the wife is saying, oh, I'm going out with so-and-so. Who? Ooh, ooh. And she says it, and he's like, who? Oh, you're so thick. I have high hopes for it, and, and I just hope they don't limit themselves to, you know, if they go on to a second season, you know, let's not just redo Frank Miller again. You know what I mean? Let's let's keep building on it. Let's do different things. Let's, you know, there there are I'm sure over the years villains that that they can mine or even take some lame villains and make them a little bit more, uh, you know, palatable. Uh, well, you know, you even the jester done right could be interesting. Well, here's the thing: is that you know, for somebody like me, I, I'm I'm curious what you guys think because I I mean I really know very very little about the character. It's weird because once again. This is another one of those things where, in, in preparation for this episode, I dug out my stack of unread Daredevils and found that, holy shit, I have a lot of Daredevil I've never read. So for somebody like me that knows very little about the character, you know, what what else is considered a quintessential Daredevil run beyond the Frank Miller stuff and the Kevin Smith stuff? What What else is considered like a must-go-to Daredevil? Is there I, anything else? I don't think there is. I don't think there's anything else that's widely accepted as, you know, this is must-reading stuff. I know the Brian Michael Bendis stuff after Miller was gone is pretty popular. Mm-hmm. So that might be something you might want to read. I like the early Daredevil, and I'm not necessarily talking about like when he first first came out, although uh, Dave Weider is doing some of those, and he's doing a good job with them because he, he makes me want to pick them up again. But issues in the 30s and in the 40s, there's, there's some stuff in that I... I enjoy in the fifties. Even uh, I started reading it in the early one hundreds. That was when I first started collecting, and I was reading those. And there, there was stuff there. Now, the villain in the first story arc that I read was the Mandrill, who is probably <laughs> one of the most made fun of and lame villains at this point. But at the time, as I was reading it, he seemed fine to me. Like I, you right. know, I thought he was threatening, and, and, See, and those stories were good. See, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have laughed because I, I feel you. I feel your pain on that because one of the first villains I can remember when I started reading Spider-Man on a regular basis was the Gibbon, who I had no idea was a complete joke. Even in the story, rereading it as an adult not long ago, I was like, okay, this is Stern coming right out and saying this guy is a joke. But I didn't catch that as a kid. To me, he was a genuine threat. So, yeah, I, I feel you on that. Well, in, hey, in the story I'll as written... I'll be right back. That I got partic- to go, go fling some poop at something. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> never mind. That story as written at the time, he was presented as a credible villain. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, yeah, he had the goofy, you know, mandrel face and all. But he, he, you know, had this musk that made women succumb to his will, kind of purple <laughs> man style. Uh, and, you know, he was super strong, you know, in comparison to a normal person. I mean, he wasn't, you know, Hulk strong or anything, but he was strong enough to to beat on Daredevil. Is uh, he just a dude? Because I thought he was actually an ape. Is he not no, an ape? No, no. His, his storyline, because it was him and then Necra, who feeds on the power of hate and becomes invincible based on that. Yeah, her uh, The two of them, they, their uh, origins are inter- interrelated. Uh, and the way they're presented is they were both... Uh, children of people who were at an atomic power plant and you know yada 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 yeah, did, but did... but she's she's like as pale-skinned as possible but was born from an african-american woman and he's 
you know, uh, dark-skinned, obviously, and, and he was born from a, a Caucasian man. And they were both shunned for their mutant looks and all. And they both ran away from home, and they ended up meeting up and, and partnering up. For hmm. those of you who think, think this sounds familiar, this was covered on the Avengers Spotlight two-man episode Paul and I did with Wonder Man and the Beast. <laughs> did we cover that? Yes, we did. Necro was... She was the... Uh, she was what she was like the villain at the end of it. So memorable. <laughs> I thought this sounded familiar. I don't know. I never listened to that episode. Oh wait a minute! You no, were I'm... there. <laughs> 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 but I, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the series. I have high hopes that I'm going to enjoy it. I think, uh, I think the Daredevil movie is is overly maligned. I don't think it's that bad. I. I you know, it's it's one of these ones where you know, like the scene in the playground is cringeworthy, but the movie on a whole, I don't think is horrible the way they present it. But I think this as a series, it'll be better because it'll have give things a chance to breathe and develop, and the storyline I think will flow better than when they, you try to squeeze it all in in two hours. Mm-hmm. So I, I have high hopes. Now, on the other hand, I have totally gotten to communication ter- shutdown on uh, Avengers 2. They came out with a new trailer last week. I refused to watch it. I'm going out tomorrow to buy my tickets for the Friday night, the you know, the opening week. They have the theater near here with the like the lounge chairs and stuff. See, and if, you, if you buy your tickets it's it's assigned seating. So I'm going out this I'm going out tomorrow to buy my tickets. So I can't tell you about anything that happens in the trailer. Shut up! Not even any, no, no scenes. No, just one scene. Oh no. come on! There was an awesome. No, scene. it doesn't. It's not a spoiler. I hate you. Come on, just let me tell, tell you the one scene. It's not just a one. spoiler, but you have to tell me the scene that I don't know anything about that I, I want to get fresh. Even though I just told you I'm refusing to watch the trailer because I want to stay fresh. This is what you think. Some kind of friend you are. <laughs> but it's awesome. I know that's why I'd rather experience it. In the movie. <sighs> I've, I've decided I want to make a concerted effort that once I know for a fact I'm going to see the movie, I don't want to see any trailers. I don't want to see any previews. I don't want to see anything. I know it's hard to do, and I know I'm sure I'm, I'm, sure I'm going to fail on occasion with that, but that's my new goal is to do that. Like a movie like The Fantastic Four that's coming out this summer, I'll see everything they put out because I have no anticipation of going to the theater to see it right now. Maybe if I see all the stuff, something will get me excited and I will go see it. Oh, please don't give that movie your money. I won't. Right now I don't plan to give it a dime. But that I'll see coming attractions on because I don't plan to go to it. But a movie like The Avengers, I know for a fact I'm going. There's no question I'm going. I'm probably going to end up going more than once. Why do I need to, to spoil it by seeing stuff now? Speaking of the Avengers, what do you uh, what are your plans? I don't plans want to see to any see... Star Wars trailers either, by the way. <laughs> well, what's your plans to see the movie, Scott? Are you going to see I it? I don't have any solid plans yet, but I mean, I definitely plan to go to it when it opens. Because mm. it's the same weekend as Free Comic Book Day, and I uh, we had messaged back and forth with, um, about Pratt, uh, Pat Broderick going to my Free Comic Book Day. I don't know if you were still interested or in coming over or. What you want to do? That's a that's going to be a what Thursday Friday? Well, Free Comic Book Day is a Saturday, but you're probably working, aren't you? I'll be work. Well, yeah, I'll be working that Saturday, but uh, Avengers comes out on that Friday, right? Well, the the previews come out on Thursday, then Friday it's full full showings. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going. 
I'll probably end up going late that Thursday night, I would imagine. It just depends on what I'm working that Saturday. Mm. Yeah, I I'll I'll probably go and see it that Saturday. I I'm thinking if I could stay away from Facebook. <laughs> if I if if I had that Saturday off, I would gladly come down to where we could go together, but I, I know that I won't. I, I work Saturdays, unfortunately. I know I won't because I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do actually. I I uh, owe uh, I owe Bill a visit. I've been wanting to get down there so he can show me around and take me to the comic shop and all that. But yeah, that would our, be a great day to do off if you never, want Yeah, our days never sync up. No, our days off rather. They just don't sync up. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> I don't I don't know who they're gonna have at my store, but I'll, I'm planning on hitting free comic book day and. They're supposed to have William Cat from Grace American Heroes supposed to be there too. Hmm. See what? See, you're missing out. Look, all of a sudden, out. somebody's thinking, "Oh, I maybe I may have a sniffle that day and not be able to go to work." <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think about the next series that's going to come out, Jessica Jones? That and I'm less intrigued by. To be, I'm interested in what they're going to do with the Purple Man, with David Tennant as the Purple Man. Uh, I did read the post. I'm sure your daughter's excited probably about that. I, re- I had read The Pulse when it came out, and that was not a bad read. Did you ever read Alias? No, I did not. Damn good book. I need to reread it, actually, because I-, I forgot that they were doing that series. But, uh, yeah, that was that was really good stuff. I liked that one. So they, they while... may end up having, I mean, it may be a great series, and sometimes it's better to not be overly excited about it in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm definitely going to watch it, but I just, you know, I, I'm not quite... Uh, well-versed enough on the character to get too excited just yet. With it being direct to Netflix, does that mean it, it might possibly be more adult? Uh, my understanding is it's a hard PG or a soft R. You know, nice. I think, that, I think that it'll have the language uh, and maybe some slightly risque scenes, but no actual nudity. I think that's about what they're going to go with. I don't remember Alias having any nudity or what, but she talked like a sailor, so... I, that I, may be there. You know, that yeah, that would be nice if they, if they so, you know, kept so what, that she in. Sound, she sounded like Popeye. <laughs> she was like Luke Cage. <laughs> <laughs> well, bend me over. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, was, there was, was that scene. Was that in <laughs> Alias or in the pul- in the in the pulse? Uh, I think I, I think that was in the pulse. Remember. I think that was in Alias because I I can't imagine because the pulse was a much more mainstream book, so I can't see them getting away with that in the pulse. But yeah, I could was, be wrong. That was pretty graphic. <laughs> so what else anyway. is there? there's there's daredevil there's jessica jones and i know it all leads to defenders Iron Fist and power man oh okay so they're doing them as well all right and then there's going to be Shut a defenders series with all of them right obviously they're not going to go for the classic defenders of dr strange the hulk and uh submariner because two of those three have are part of the movie uh franchises yeah Oh, so Submariner's tied up elsewhere? I think Submariner's with the Fantastic Four license, as is the Silver Surface. So there goes your Defenders proper. Well, my hope is that if this Fantastic Fantastic Four movie comes out in tanks, which I fully expect it to do, then hopefully they'll get the hint and they'll do exactly with it what they're doing with Spider-Man, which is, you know, be, uh, hey, can uh, can you do something with this and help us out? I think you know, Marvel, Marvel might give them so. a give them a middle finger there and say, you know what, just give up the license, f you. Yeah, because that's I mean that's effectively what they did with Daredevil, and they got it back. Right. 
So I, I could see them doing that with the Fantastic Four as well. That'd be great if they would, because I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for all these worlds to come together. At the, except, I have to be honest with you, there was a, a big thing going around Facebook not long ago about uh, I, I forget what the whole gist of it was, but it was essentially you know how awesome would it be you know if if one day we're you know we're getting uh, you know the the integrated Marvel universe and then you have the X Men franchise meets the Avengers franchise. I'm like no. Because that's the one thing for the Marvel Universe that never really worked for me is that the X-Men exist in the same universe as everybody else. I mean, I think as originally conceived and in the earlier days, it worked very well. But with the X-Men going the direction that they have, I've always felt like the X-Men franchise doesn't really feel fully integrated with the rest of the Marvel Universe these days because of the whole you know, hated and feared by a world they're sworn to protect kind of thing, you know, so everybody hates and fears mutants, yet across the street you've got the Avengers, which, you know, certain members of the team are mutants and nobody seems to have, and it just doesn't seem to work, you know? Mm. So... See, I could see them integrating it okay and, and, and doing it, but my fear would be it would become what the comics have become a little bit, where we need to have these giant blockbuster crossovers all the time and we can't do small right. stories right. and that would be my fear that it would would denigrate into that so. i think that's a legit fear because i i think one of the reasons that uh people had some of the reactions that they had to say the first couple post avengers movies was that you were you were kind of going backwards you know you'd had all this build up with all the solo films and then after the avengers i think i know i did anyway uh, on a on a purely subconscious level, I went into movies like Iron Man three, hoping for more Avengers, and, and knowing that I, that's not what I was going to get, but still walking away disappointed nonetheless. And so, yeah, I could see that. See, I wasn't disappointed with uh, Iron Man three. I I mean, you can't. Well, I mean, they can't pull off a blockbuster every single like every six months. I mean, it's nice to to go off and and explore each. It, individual character and then then come back when they do you know when they get the gang back together I right mean, no and I, and I agree with that but I, I am you know I was just saying or speaking to Paul's point you know I think that was the, the exact point he was making was that you know if, if you just get into blockbuster syndrome then eventually you're you know mm. you're, you're kind of setting yourself up you know you're setting your your viewers up for fatigue you know the same way that we get event fatigue in the comics i think you could end up beginning event fatigue with the movies as well and i think i I, think sometimes with the events with the comics i some of the problem i have is that they're always trying to top themselves and what they're doing to try and top themselves is to be more actiony so you're getting a very action heavy but characterization and plot light story right and i think that's where they fail uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Infinity Gauntlet was awesome. That was a great read. I loved it. I haven't read it in years, but I loved it. And I'm looking forward to reading it again before they get around to making the movie. But to, when they got to keep trying to top that every time, I thought AVX really did fail because because there was never a point where you really cared what was going on. Right. And that was yeah. the, the I, I guess, the most recent uh, big uh, crossover was the... Uh, what you call it? The Secrets one, whatever. Uh, original Sin? Original Sin. And it was okay. I and they tried to do things that were affecting the whole universe, but eh. 
Yeah, well, well, don't spoil it if Scott hasn't read it. Yeah, I was going to say you're setting me up to be disappointed because I just finished. Well, I thought well, that maybe uh, I'm not in... setting you up to be disappointed because I'm lowering your expectations. <laughs> well, that's that's good because I just finished um, Inhumanity and was so disappointed. I I really walked away from that going, you know, there was all this goodwill that's been generated the past few years that got me for the first time in my comic reading life. I actually found myself giving two shits about the Inhumans. I, I finally found myself interested and invested. Uh, the the hook for me, the thing that got me into it, was hooking up Crystal and Ronan. That was genius, and I really liked it. So I was following the story for those two characters primarily, and to see where their relationship was going to develop. And inhumanity ruined the whole damn thing for me. And at this point, I'm back to where I was before, where I just don't give a shit about the Inhumans again. And it's such a shame because, you know, I, I was really digging it. But yeah, the, uh, those events, they, they can do that to you because there's just, you know, I'm I'm trying to read basically like two books right now to get caught up with the Marvel, you know, with the, with the modern Marvel universe, which is guardians of the galaxy and Nova. And there's a few ancillary titles that I, I got kind of interested in along the way, like uh, the, the Iron Man um, that just wrapped up last year. Uh, I'm reading that right now. That's really, really good. So I'm reading these titles, but it, it's like I get three issues read and then it's the next event. And then mm -hmm. I have to read the event because they're just they're, they're designing these things these days that you can't just go. I'm just going to continue with the story I'm reading and screw the event. You can't. You have to read the event to know what the hell's going on. So I read I, I can't even tell you how many events I've read now, but I know I just read Infinity, which was really good. But then I read Inhumanity, which was awful. And then I've got like three issues to read. And then I'm, I'm to Original Sin, which I've heard all kinds of things. It's all over the map. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. And there are moments, but yeah, it's, it's I'll give it that. There are constantly moments. events. Every time you turn around it, you know, you, you can't just read a series anymore is what it feels like. You, you've always got to have this interruption of, so, you know, now I feel for these guys like Peter David, which have bitched about stuff like this for years. That like, why can't I just write my book? Cause that's how I'm feeling as a reader. Why can't I just read my book? I can't. <laughs> just have to keep getting interrupted by these big, you know, universe threatening events every time you turn around. Yeah, it uh, it get, it does get really old after a while. So yeah, I I'm hoping that the movies don't go that same. I want them to keep it special when it's you know when it's something huge. And I, I think the cool thing about this Daredevil thing though, to bring it back around, is that this goes back to something that we talked about a long time ago. Is that could the the Marvel Cinematic Universe have their cake and eat it too? Could they do these huge epic blockbusters, but then do street level drama? And I think if this Netflix series works, and it looks like it has real potential to work, I, I think they're going to pull it off. I think we are going to get the best of both worlds. We're going to have the cinematic you know universe that's out there putting more money into the Marvel you know coffers. And then you've got, you know, the Netflix stuff that that does more of the, you know, so if you don't care so much about the big superhero blockbuster, but you want, you know, that that hit of the of the Marvel Universe, then you've got this stuff. And I think that's awesome. You know, it's a it's a trick they tried to pull a while ago, like with the Punisher movie and stuff like that, that unfortunately just didn't quite go off. 
this looks like it has real potential to work. I think that's exciting. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on that. Because, you yeah. know, there's a lot of heroes, there, there's a lot of characters, rather, in the Marvel Universe that I really want to see get brought in that I don't know that they could necessarily carry a film franchise, but have real potential to be like, you know, like a TV miniseries or a, or a Netflix series or something like, I mean, the, I think the Mar you know, the history of the Marvel universe is chock full of characters like that. So, you know, yeah, I, I hope it works. You know, like I said before, I'm not invested in the character at all. Daredevil really not my thing, but I hope it works just so that it opens the door for more characters that, that might likewise get that same treatment, you know, not big enough to carry a film, but you know, that they could still be brought in to do something with, you know, TV special movie of the week or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's cool. Tonight on the ABC Saturday night movie. <laughs> Ramrod. I, oh. I hope they, I hope they do it as at least as well as they did it on, uh, on the Hulk TV movie when Daredevil was on. <laughs> as portrayed by Rex Smith. You know, everybody wants to dump on that, but as a kid, I loved that shit. I yeah. really did. And how about Sala as the kingpin? Huh? Uh. <laughs> and the and the dad from uh, Good Luck Charlie as uh, Thor. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we get to our uh, books. Because we haven't spent enough time just yet. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we have one piece of email that I think we should hit. One? We have a new well, email? Oh, yeah. That's Bill, right. Bill and I read all the rest last time. Oh, okay. Last time on an old Back to the Bins. And this is only, it's only three days later, even though it'll be a full week later before the book, before the show's air. Although this may air before that one because uh, time Stop wise. it. Stop it. You're making my head hurt. Well, because this is, I want to, I want to post this one the week that the Daredevil episodes come up so i don't know about the timing brain brain but the, the email is titled count franz leopold rodolfo <laughs> oh sorry i uh, know this one hair spataro hair robinson and hair gardner <laughs> i am count franz leopold rodolfo attorney at law and executor of the state excuse me executor of the estate of prince tlak uo of wakanda on the 25th of july 2012 my client his wife and the two children died in the Air Madripoor plane crash bound for Tunis, Tunisia. The family was on their way to a Mediterranean cruise. Prior to the accident, and since then, I have been managing Prince Tlak Uwa's properties here in Latveria and in his tribal homelands in Wakanda. His vibranium mining operation at the time of the accident had already been put on sale. I, as his attorney, monitored the sale of his properties and the depositing of the proceeds into Prince Tlak Uo's bank account in Doomstadt. I have contacted you initially to assist me in the withdrawal of the money in the coming weeks by Latverian law, ownership of the funds in current bank accounts unattended for three years will automatically revert back to His Majesty's Royal Treasury. The bank in Doomstadt has recently issued me a notice to provide details of Prince Tlak Uo's next of kin within a short period of time. This thereby triggers off the procedure of reverting ownership of the funds to His Majesty's Royal Treasury. My late client's bank account is valued at 70 million doom francs, or 15 million US dollars. Since I have been unsuccessful in locating any relatives of the late Prince Tlak Ua, 
in the last three years, and with the bank indicating that they now wish to begin the procedure of reversion of the funds to His Majesty's Royal Treasury, I now seek your consent to present you as the next of kin of the deceased so that the proceeds of this account can be paid to you, and then you in turn can send me my share of the money. The ratio for the sharing of funds will be 50% for me, 40% to you, and 10% for miscellaneous expenses that might arise. All I require is your honest cooperation and confidentiality to enable us seize this deal through. I guarantee this will be executed under a legitimate arrangement, and I will protect you from any breach in the law. Trust me as Prince Tlak Ua's attorney, this is a risk-free transaction. I very much look forward to a swift response from you. Kindest regards, Count Franz Leopold Rodulfo, 695 Cynthia Van Doom Memorial Parkway, Doomstadt, Latveria. I say we do it, man. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, just give me your social security numbers, date of birth, that's, and we'll send them right over. Okay, so we got $15 million. That gets cut in half. So we got seven and a half. So we split it. We, we, we each get like $2.5 million. Let's do it. It'd be about $6 million, but yeah. Hey, yeah, wait, that a minute, works. wait a minute. Why is Jason Sandberg's name at the end of this? Oh, man. Have we been <laughs> pranked? I, I read this first in the email. And I looked at it for for a second and didn't catch on to the name of Rudolfo and went attorney of law. And I skimmed it. I didn't see. And I'm like, this is a chain letter. And I almost deleted it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did I just see <laughs> Wakanda and Doomstat in there? <laughs> very funny and very clever. That's, that, that that's was that's genius. Nice work by Jason. That is genius. <laughs> All right. With that out of the way. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to our Daredevil show. And I have the earliest issue, so I'm going first. Was there ever a Daredevil like theme song like in the Marvel? He he, he wasn't on the Marvel series. Daredevil. He yeah. wears red. Daredevil. He's got no eyes in his head. <laughs> I think it started with Roadhog. <laughs> I think that's how it went, right? I wonder if there's people who don't get that. There's got to be. <laughs> But just in case they don't know, it would be followed up with, Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> I'm glad you got it. I, I used to like that show. I, and and it's, it's true effort to be politically correct with his, uh, his Asian friend. Oh, Mr. Magloo, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time and a different culture. Just even quoting from the show probably gets people offended. Anyways. Well, let's ramrod this thing in here. Yeah, I picked. <laughs> I, I, you know, I kind of went random, although I didn't. What I did was I randomly picked a book from early when I was reading it. I didn't, spec- you know, like I didn't pick this is the issue I want to do. I just kind of picked the era I wanted to do and just grabbed any issue from there. Uh, and I can't say I picked a real winner. <laughs> That's funny because I can't say that either. <laughs> But I picked Daredevil number 103 from September of 1973. The cover, which is by John Romita Sr., uh, he's the only one credited to for it, but I'm thinking that it's inked by Don Heck because Ramrod's face on the cover looks very Don Heckish. Yes. So even though Don Heck isn't credited, and you can see the Romita, Daredevil, and Widow on uh, and Spider-Man's on there, but I, I can't really tell for certain that, that that's a Romita Spider-Man, but I guess it is. But like I said, it's it's 
it looks like a, a Don Heck face, so I'm thinking he inked it. Is Ramrod uh, supposed to be Asian? No. But that's a that's a big Don <laughs> Heck thing, the little eyes. Oh, okay. yeah. That's that's the thing that's more, the main thing about it that makes it look Don Heckish to me. Anyway, the the cover shows Ramrod, who's a shirtless dude with <laughs> green pants and a silver skull cap and silver shoulders. Uh, he's punching Daredevil in front of him and si- Spider-Man behind him simultaneously. Uh, and while that's happening, the Black Widow is swinging down using her widow's sting, which is clearly having no effect on him at all. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Thank you for the sound effect. Anytime. The story is titled, Then Came Ramrod. That's not a loaded title. It's it's similar to Then Came Maud. I think I rented a porno that had that name one time. Then Came Maud? Whoa, you got some sick taste. So the story is written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Don Heck, inked by Sal Trapani, lettered by Artie Simic, colored by George Russos, and edited by Roy Thomas. Now, at this point in the Daredevil series, he and the Black Widow were living in San Francisco. The splash page shows them swinging over a fence to get to the mansion that she's renting. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but he's swinging over the fence. She's swinging right into the fence, but yes. Uh, no, I just, I just think that's a mistake no, of perspective. No, yeah, because yeah, you it. see her line does go over the top of the fence. You see it? Yeah, but I don't think her face is going to go over the top of the fence. Well, there's, there's those barbs at the top of the door that you figure are going to scrape right along her body as she goes. <laughs> she's, she's, Rip her uh, to shreds. She's like uh, George of the Jungle. Watch out for that fence. I'm sorry. I will, I will curtail my comments till the end. That's okay. Feel free anytime. I never, it never bothers me. Never stops me. So they're looking to go into the mansion, and we see kind of closer to the camera in the forefront of the picture is Spider-Man watching them from a tree. Daredevil and the Widows are discussing this issue's MacGuffin, which is a box with some unknown papers in it that they have for safekeeping. They go inside the mansion, and Daredevil puts it into a safe. While that's happening, Spidey changes into his Peter Parker outfit, and it seems that J. Jonah Jameson has sent him to San Francisco to get an interview with Daredevil and the Black Widow, because their romance is news in the tabloids, I guess. And at this point, I was going to kind of make fun of it and be snarky, like, you know, yeah, of course you send your freelance photographer across the country to uh, interview people. Uh, But this is actually continued from Marvel Team-Up number 12, uh, which was Spider-Man and Werewolf by Night. And there's a a whole scene in there where uh, Peter's looking to just get out of New York because he's grieving over Gwen Stacy's death. And he asks... Jameson for an assignment, and Jameson is kind of scoffing at him, and Joe Robbie comes up with the idea of sending him out to San Francisco to do this interview, and kind of sets the wheels in motion for him. So it's not quite as silly as it seems on its face. And so Peter approaches the house, comes upon Ivan, the widow's inappropriate father figure, and they exchange some inane dialogue, and then he comes to the door, which is answered by the widow, and he is invited in before they even know why he's there. Uh... Now, you would think that they would have made some sort of appointment for him to interview them or something instead of just having him come knock on the door, but this is how it worked. I guess there was no internet, so they couldn't do things like that. The phone wasn't good enough. So they talk, and as they're talking, Peter's spider sense starts to tingle, and Ramrod bursts in through a door or a wall. I'm not really sure. Hey, Kool-Aid! He, <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> He's after the box of papers that uh, Daredevil... Uh, put into the safe he makes quick work of the resistance that he gets and tears up the place gets the box and makes his way out 
As he leaves, Daredevil and the Widow each try to tackle him, and neither of them is able to even slow him down. Uh, he then jumps right over their fence, and the Widow and Daredevil give chase. Peter decides that they're going to need some help, and changes into his costume and follows after them. Ramrod watches from a ledge as Daredevil and the Black Widow swing by, and he starts to talk aloud for some reason, even though he's all alone, uh, about his origin. It turns out he was a construction foreman and kind of a dick, and conveniently had a, uh, a fuel oil drum dropped on him, and it rolled over him twice. And then afterwards, they're all lay- they're all sitting there with the drum on top of him, saying, "Oh, is he okay? What's going on? Get up!" Nobody's even bothered trying to get it off of him. I think. Uh... You notice they say, Ramrod, look out. You know there was a guy up there that pushed that drum on him. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm sure if they if they followed up on this story uh, and made it more detailed, you'd find out that you know he pissed somebody off who did that. So it turns out he had every bone in his body crushed. Including the colon. And yet somehow his, his internal organs survived it. <laughs> I don't know, but you know what? You crush my skull, I'm thinking the brain's not surviving. But, you know, whatever. Okay, so he was taken in by some mysterious duo, and uh, they replaced his bones with steel bands and made him into a cyborg. In return, they asked that he kill Daredevil, and uh, just by the way, they injected him with some sort of deadly chemical, and we'll only give him the antidote if he cooperates, and so he cooperates. Is that, and as he's... What's that? Is that the, is that the monitor there? Oh. The monitor and... Uh... It is. It's like the Monitor and Moon Dragon. Yeah, it, like... it, it is Moon Dragon, by the way. Oh, it is. Oh, really? Yeah. This is actually. Is this when she was somewhat of a villain into the into the Marvel Cosmic with Thanos and stuff? Hmm. hmm. Who's Who's the guy in the chair? I'm. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know issue 107. Uh, they get a hold of the paperwork that they're doing, which is some sort of formula, and they come up with this whole cosmic thing where, I think it might be. I think it might be Daredevil's San Francisco law partner or something, because he uses it to basically turn into this giant monster. Uh, and it is Moondragon, and she's, I don't know if she's misguided at this point or something. This is when she, she went under the name Madame McEvil. They sold her at McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I, I'm not sure it's him, because I don't remember him being bald, and the guy here who they're showing... Well, she's so Madame McEvil, really then this must be Mayor McCheese, then. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't remember the exact how the story went, but it was somehow tied into Marvel Cosmic eventually. Dr. McEvil? Dr. McEvil. What's it? It's, it's a four oh, years if they of had the evil Fry Mc... Guys in this, I would love this shit. Was that? If they had the Fry Guys in this, I would love that shit. At least Mayor McCheese. Robble, robble. <laughs> so where was I? <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Oh, yeah, so he's rambling on aloud for some reason, and Spider-Man comes over and makes fun of him for doing that and uses his webbing to take away the box of papers from him. He takes off, and then we get some pretty poorly drawn fight scenes. Daredevil joins the fight. They really don't find a way to hurt or slow him down until the Widow stings him in the face, and they determine that's where he's vulnerable. Uh, They attack, and he grabs the Widow by the ankle and tosses her from a building. Daredevil rescues her, and Ramrod goes after Spider-Man, because he has the papers. He's pretty relentless, but then the Widow joins the fight, and Ramrod kind of freaks out like a little girl over the fact that she's still alive, and the boss is going to kill him, and blah, 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 blah. And then he, he falls from a building, falls into the sidewalk. He's apparently unconscious, and our... Heroes are saying, eh, yeah, okay, the, the, the police will take care of that. And they, they just leave. And 
at that point, Spider-Man changes back into Peter Parker and comes over and does his interview. End of story. So as I said, I picked it from an era that I did like, and I did like this era, but I can't say that this is a good issue. Uh, at the time when this came out, I, I, it, it, I actually started buying them a few months later, and this is one I had gotten from the back issue bins shortly after that. So I was still probably 11 or 12 years old when I read this, and I, at that time I liked it. Uh, but the story is kind of nonsensical as far as motivations and everything. And the artwork is, I'm not a big Don Heck fan to begin with. And this is lower level Don Heck. Mm-hmm. So, and, and to top it off, there's really very, very little characterization of our heroes in this book. So it kind of fails on a lot of levels. What'd you guys think? Yeah, it's a lot of punchy, punchy run, run. And not good punchy, punchy run, run. Yeah, poorly drawn, punchy, punchy, run, run. I really just had three quick thoughts on this. Um, I think the art is not good. I myself am not a a fan of Don Heck by any stretch. Every single shot of Spider-Man in this makes it look like an issue of Spidey stupid uh, stupid stories. He he kind of has a pinhead in a lot of them. Yeah, he (laughs) he really does. But especially when he's actually battling Ramrod later on, there are a couple shots that are. There's one whole page. If I can, I'm trying to flip to it here real quick. But there's it may be there's an entire page that does look literally like it's lifted right out of Spidey uh, stupid stories. So, yeah. Is it eighteen? No, seventeen was the one I was looking at. Where at the where he steals the box yeah from ramrod those last two panels literally look like they are right out of a one of those issues and and what does it i think is the lack of backgrounds or lack of detail to the backgrounds yeah yeah there's no detail at all yeah it's very very simplistic in those parts oh no ramrod look look closely at the whole book there's very very little detail in the backgrounds yeah that's true well ramrod was interesting to me only from the aspect that the origin he has of basically being kind of a, you know, he, he was, they did kind of the Wolverine thing with him where they went in and they gave him metal bones and everything. Don Heck was also the illustrator of steel, the indestructible man for Mar uh, for DC, a good number of years after this, that's essentially steel's gig too. So, both of these characters are are very six million dollar man like. They both suffered, uh, you know, some sort of thing, and then they were, you know, they were given the the metal skeleton treatment and everything. Now with Steel, he was much closer to Steve Austin because they gave him, you know, micro motors and all this sort of thing. So he had superhuman strength and all that. Presumably, they did something similar to Ramrod here, although they never mentioned that. All they say is that they went in and they gave him a, a steel a steel skeleton. It doesn't explain his super strength. There is steel hard skin or anything like that. So, you know, they kind of gloss it over real quick. So he has a lot of potential from the cyborg aspect, which um, Moon Dragon even calls him a cyborg at one point. But they don't really go into that. So it's kind of left in a gray area. So, I mean, he's a a villain with potential. It's just unfortunate that he's kind of laughable in this and he looks flat ridiculous. And I agree with Bill. I really think, you know, I, I know what you're saying, Paul, about um, how Don Heck frequently, you know, his characters frequently look Asian just because of the, that weird squinty thing he has them doing. 
But I can't help but wonder if Ramrod really is supposed to be Asian in this story because in his origin flashback, when it shows him before the accident, that panel where he's working on the whatever that is, a construction site or whatever, he, he does look Asian right there. Cause he the, does, that... but I, I don't think he is supposed to be. Oh, okay. I don't think that's intentional. I think that's just poor artwork. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, the only real specific note I had on the entire issue, because I'm with you, I didn't think it was really that great. Was <laughs> that great would be going a a, a, a long way? <laughs> it was just something that uh, that intrigued me, so I looked it up. And when I looked it up, I was like, "Hmm, interesting." Page three, panel four. Uh, Peter Parker's talking to himself, and he says, "Ah, oh, Parker, come off it." He says, "The self pity routine went out with da haircuts." I'm like, "Da, what the hell is a da, DA haircut?" Uh, da haircut is so like what Ponzi had in Happy Days, right? So I looked it up, and essentially, it's wait, what. Wait, 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 wait. What? Whoa! So we got da district attorney. D- da dumbass. stands for duck's ass. Duck's ass. Really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And See, I was fully up on this. <laughs> that they would use that term as opposed to, it's also called ducktail, you know, like, and I've heard that one. Mm. But duck's ass, I'd never actually heard before. So I looked it up, and sure enough, there's a whole wiki article on duck ass haircuts. And I'm like, duck okay. ass. Ooh. But I'm, I'm really surprised that Marvel went, you know, here this is what, 1973, and they used that actual abbreviation as opposed to ducktail, which they could have gotten away with. You know, they could have said that right out, and there's no stigma or whatever on it at all. Here they abbreviate it with the DA, but clearly that is what that abbreviation is for. Mm-hmm. So this is almost like you know Peter Parker telling somebody, you know, "F you." It's like, okay, <laughs> I know what that means. You know, it's just kind of weird. But that was all I really had on this. Uh, you know, it it reads very much like a Spidey stupid story. It's it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much, there's so many things which are just such leaps in logic, just to get it to you know get it on to the next thing and to make things happen. Just, uh, uh, it's 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 poorly written, and and I, I expect better from Steve Gerber. Yeah, because I usually expect him to to give you some, uh, you know, some real clever things that you actually have to think about to get, and there's really nothing here. In fact, it, it requires you to not think at all. I wonder how early in this career, this in Steve Gerber's career, this might be. It's it's in the earlier days, but it, I don't think he was he was slightly more mainstream in the early days. But he was always a little off the wall, right? Uh, this may be him following some sort of editorial mandate. I don't know because you know, I mean, the story does get out there a little bit. You, you could see where it would be, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let's say uh, chemically. Uh, influenced right uh you know when 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 daredevil's law partner becomes this giant cosmic being and it's it's very strange stuff that goes on here uh but just like i said the leaps in logic here and and honestly i could get over some of the leaps in logic i don't think the story is as horrible as the art the art is just there's there's so many shots that are really really bad all right i i got two two comments about this issue best panel of the issue or the panel that I like the most is bottom of page five where widow opens the door. I think she looks good there. I think that's a nice shot. Now, Don heck just to interrupt you for a second. Don heck people who like Don heck. One of the things they say is that he, he was good at drawing sexy women. Mm. So, well then 
I am one of those people because that's a nice shot of Widow. She looks, well, she looks pretty darn hot. Now, probably what I think is the worst one, and I'm flipping to it. Uh, where did it go? It was right when the one we were talking about. Ah, there it is. Ugh. Top of page 19. Look closely at that panel. Are they standing on a roof? Are they in an alley? Look at the perspective of where oh, perspective is. Horrible. is. Yeah. It, it looks like they should be looking on a rooftop looking down because I swear next to Daredevil's knee, that looks like a stairwell coming up to a door. But yeah. the perspective is completely wrong. Look at Spider-Man's head. He has no nose. That's the electric company, Spider-Man. Yeah, he mm-hmm. has no nose and a pointed yep. chin. It's yep. This is just... I mean, the best thing on that page, again, is the Black Widow. Everything else is just, it's, I, it's, it sucks. It, to me, that, that wins the award for the worst panel of the issue. Uh, you, the perspective of it is terrible. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's, it's impossible to acclimate yourself to. Because they should be standing. They should be turned, you know, they should be turned looking down at him or at a different shot. Or the building should be turned at a different angle. It's completely hosed. Not good. Not good at all. I mean, the story is, is, I mean, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's seventies fun. Yeah. I feel like the story is, is not good, but it's serviceable, but the artwork is not. Yeah. Uh, I just, I'm I'm looking, uh, if you look at page 18, the third panel where, uh, Ramrod is basically like pulling a hammerhead, uh, and, and kind of diving at him with his head first. First of all, it's just bad. Each each character looks bad. But but look at the difference in size of Ramrod compared to Spider Man. He's not a giant. Why is he that much bigger than Spider Man? Mm. Uh, I mean, perspective and anatomy are really poor in this issue. It, there's there's so many shots where where people just don't look right. Certain body parts are out of proportion. Uh, and and again, like you said, the perspective is terrible. Though the only shot I can point to where the perspective is kind of well done is the last panel on page 25 with spider-man at the top of the building and ramrod climbing up that's not too bad as far as the perspective goes mm-hmm. but uh yeah <laughs> and then just like i said they just you know he's unconscious all right let's leave <laughs> so what's gonna happen when he wakes up how are they gonna restrain him cops got this it- i'm looking at a, a list of steve gerber's credits here and just going strictly by the cover dates on issues, his first cover dated story, according to Mike's Amazing World, is Shaun of the She-Devil, number one, December 1972. And this story here is from August 7th. Yeah, so yeah, he's not even been in the biz a year, so I guess you could cut him some slack. Plus, well, He introduces the characters of Necra and the Mandrill in that Shauna series, and then uh, he's the one who pulled them over into Daredevil. Well, see, the issue published just before this, the story of his published just before this issue is Supernatural Thrillers number five, which is a personal favorite of mine. So I'm not going to I'm going to cut him some slack and just say that this, you know, this is just a one off because I, I, I friggin love that issue. So, yeah, and again, I, I think the story, although although it strains logic in a lot of parts and it's just kind of a lot of, there's a MacGuffin and a lot of deus ex machina stuff going on in here. Uh, but it's serviceable. It's readable. It's not that, I don't think it's horrible. The artwork is right. horrible. So I guess we've hit the point where we rate our book. Uh, this is not the finest of John Romita's covers. 
But I don't think it's bad. It's action-y. It kind of gives you an idea of what's going on inside. It gives you all three of your heroes in action poses. Uh, they're all individually well-rendered. I don't like Ramrod's face in it. Of course, that's the one thing that looks uh, Don Heckish. Uh, and, and, I mean, the the idea that he's punching both of them at the same time and getting anything behind either blow is kind of silly. But it's still kind of good. I, I still like the cover. I'm going to give the cover a B-. minus. I don't think it's... I still think, you know, bad John Romita is better than most people. Uh, the interior art, it, it's... It's Don Heck, who I don't like to begin with, and it's bad Don Heck. I'm giving the interior art an F. Uh, it, it just really has very, very little going for it. It it's, it's, feels like it's badly paced. The action sequences don't look good. Uh, and, and the individual people look terrible. Uh, and story-wise, it's, you know, it's, again, it strains credulity, but it's okay. It's not a bad read. I'm going to say just slightly below average and give it a C minus, and I'm going to give the overall book a D. Mm. Um, I'm going to go B on the cover. John Romita, it's always good. Like you said, even the worst John Romita is better than some of the other people's bests. Um, I'm going to give the interior art, eh, I'm going to bump it up just to a D for the hot couple of hot Black Widows. Um and the interior star story is, you know, it's a '70s Marvel average fare. So for me, it 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 gets a C. So I guess that rounds out probably to like a C minus D plus for for me on this one. Scott, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go 3D on this one. Uh, I'm it's D's <laughs> all around. I'm not enamored of the cover. I think it's very wonky, inconsistent, poorly staged, and. I do think this is something of a jam piece because I clearly see some Romita, but then there's other figures that I think are uh, Don Heck. I mean, clearly Ramrod is Don Heck, at least in the face anyway. And I think uh, the widow is in the face as well, but yeah, it's, it's very awkward. Um, It's a little cluttered and it's just kind of bizarre. So I'm not crazy about the cover. The interior art, there was honestly not a not a single thing in, you know, not a single panel or page in the interior art that I thought, ooh, that looks good or that looks nice. Everything is just, ugh. It's very generic and, and kind of bland, which is kind of, unfortunately, how I tend to think of Don Heck. I just always think of his stuff as very generic and bland. It's not even, you know, service, you know, uh, you know just workmanlike. It's just kind of bland. So, yeah, I'm not crazy about it. And then... It pains me to say it for Steve Gerber, but yeah, the stories didn't do it for me either. So it's, you know, I'm going to say D's because it's barely passable. So, yeah, D's all around on this one. Sorry, team. <laughs> all right. And that brings us to book number two. All which I right. think you, you went out off the reservation and picked a Daredevil book. <laughs> well, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I like I say, I have rather a large stack of Daredevils that uh, that I've never read. So, what I did was I, I dug out the stack and I just started flipping through, hoping something would catch my eye. And I picked this one just simply because the cover was very eye-catching to me, and it not only features one of my favorite artists on the cover, but I recognized the villains. Whereas most all the other issues that I was flipping through. I didn't recognize the villains. I mean, there was a lot of just like Z-list villains. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And they just didn't really look appealing. But I got to this cover and I'm like, ooh, I like this cover. So, you know, purely just 
picking a book by its cover, I picked this one. And not to spoil ahead, I'm really glad that I did. So we are jumping ahead in time to July 1978 for Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, number 153. Features a 35-cent cover price on it. And I love the cover copy here. It says, Death is the Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Now, I knew these guys from when I was first getting into comics. I had well-loved, well-read, well-weather-beaten copies of Amazing Spider-Man. I believe it's issues 231 and 232 where Spider-Man fought first Cobra and then he fought Mr. Hyde. So I knew who these guys were from when I was a kid. So I, I saw this cover and it's this great cover where essentially Cobra is watching as Mr. Hyde tackles Daredevil and they go, the both of them go smashing out of a, a window and they're plummeting to the street below and Daredevil drops his billy club and he says, my billy club, I dropped it. And then Mr. Hyde is saying, good, I can survive this drop, but without your cable and its, or excuse me, your club and its cable, you'll be splattered, he says. And I thought, well, that's kind of kind of gruesome for a you know what is uh essentially a still a you know considered to be a children's title at this time so i i thought that was i thought that was great cover copy i really like but i love the angle the cover is by um uh gene colon who again that's what caught my eye was that it was gene colon and it's inked by Klaus jansen that's not the interior team however the interior team on the art well here's the credits on this the story is called betrayal and the scripter is Roger Ramblin' McKenzie. Uh, the uh, inker is Tony Trailblazing D. Zaniga, personal favorite of mine. And it said, proudly welcome back, Gene the Dean Colon, Daredevil Penciler Without Peer. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. So evidently this is uh, Colon coming back after uh, some time away from the book. Because I know that he had rather a large stint on the book at one point. I don't know when that was. Um, I've picked up random issues here and there over time, you know, where, uh, where Colin was the penciler, but I, I never did know exactly when those runs were. So, you know, just on dumb luck, I get the issue where he's coming back onto the books. I thought that was pretty cool. Plus just the simple fact that it's Colin and Dizaniga together made me so happy because I'm a huge fan of both of these guys individually, but you put them together and I'm a happy, happy camper. Because, again, when I was first starting to collect comics, one of the first things I got that I continue to be super enamored with to this day was DC's Phantom Zone miniseries. They did all four issues of that together. They were the art team on that book, and I love that. So a lot of the art in this issue took me back to Phantom Zone. As a matter of fact, when we open the issue here, you've got Ben Urich at his typewriter which is very similar to the opening to Phantom Zone number one, where you've got Charlie Quexel at his typewriter. So I thought that was really cool. But anyway, as we open the story here, um, Daredevil is swinging over to uh, this girl's apartment, uh, Heather Glenn, to check on her. Now, I have no idea who the hell this character is. I don't know if this was his squeeze at the time or what. It was. But he's going. It was? Okay. That's kind of what I gathered from this, but he never comes right out and says it. At least in this issue. She, she turned out to be kind of a psycho. but that's... Oh, was she kind of the uh, Deb Whitman of, of Daredevil then? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Okay. So he's gotten a call from her in the previous issue uh, pleading for help. So that's why he's headed there. So as he gets there and he smashes in to uh, her window to check on her, he comes face to face with Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde goes diving at him. 
Daredevil just leaps out of the way and Hyde goes smashing over a desk and everything essentially takes himself out of the fight for a moment. And Cobra latches onto him and begins to squeeze because he has like constricting powers. But uh, Daredevil is able to get off a lucky shot with his billy club and he ricochets it just right to where it clocks uh, Cobra in the head and uh, and takes him out. And, you know, so he releases Daredevil. Then Mr. Hyde gets back up. Mr. Hyde at this point, he's just pissed. He's had enough of Daredevil and Daredevil's taunts and everything. So he just rushes in like a like a linebacker and just tackles Daredevil. And just like the cover shows, when you turn the page to page 10, there is this glorious full page splash that I think is just beautiful of Hyde tackling Daredevil and both of them are smashing out the window. Now, what's really neat is that both the cover and this page are drawn by Colin. They're both depicting the same thing, but in completely different ways. And this one is really, really nice. I love Dizaniga's inks on this. And it's just Daredevil coming to the realization of what has just happened, that they've smashed out this window and that they are many, many, many stories above the ground. And in these thought, three separate thought bubbles, he's just thinking, oh my God. And I think that's really great. And just like on the cover, as they plummet, he loses his billy club. He gives uh, Hyde a, basically a kick in the balls to separate the two of them. And then he's got to figure out how is he going to survive this fall with no billy club? Now, this is where it gets a little silly because he does his, you know, daredevil midair gymnastics thing, reaches out and he grabs a flagpole. But one thing I liked about this is that, yeah, he manages to grab the flagpole and slow his descent. But it's not comic booky to the point where he saves himself. He actually, it, it really injures his uh, his elbow and his arm, and he can't hold on. So even though he is able to slow his descent, he doesn't save himself. But he slows enough to where he hits the awning beneath him, and he's able to kind of somersault out, out, you know, off of the awning, and he lands flat on his ass, which is actually pretty cool. So you know. Not completely a, a graceful landing, but he does manage to to uh, to save himself. Hyde, in the meantime, plummets straight through the uh, the pavement, and after uh, a couple of panels, he pulls himself up out of it. So he actually survived the fall, but it took a lot out of him, and he just kind of collapses at that point. And while Daredevil's kind of you know thanking his lucky stars that. Uh, that uh, Hyde collapsed and that, you know, he's, he himself survived it and everything. He gets clocked in the head with his own billy club. He's forgotten about Cobra. Cobra comes crawling down the sides of the building and everything. And as Daredevil's uh, floundering around trying to reclaim, uh, reclaim his billy club, uh, billy club because the conk in the head has kind of messed up his uh, radar sense and everything. Cobra snags the billy club first and he snaps it in two and then he starts shooting at uh, Daredevil with, uh, I don't know, Venom darts, it says. Uh, a power of his I either didn't know about or forgot about. Daredevil ducks behind a trash can, ends up heaving the trash can at uh, Cobra to distract him. And then he runs in and he just beats the shit out of, out of Cobra. And while he's doing that, it gives uh, Mr. Hyde time to recover. Mr. Hyde actually sneaks up behind Daredevil, grabs him, flings him, and uh, knocks his head up against, uh, I don't know, a statue or a building or something. It doesn't really make clear what it is. It, says, uh, it just says in the uh, 
in the caption, there's the dull crunch of bone against granite and uh, Daredevil just slumps unconscious. Then there's some great panels here of Hyde picking up Daredevil's body just as these police cars come racing in. And one of the cops shouts, don't shoot, you might hit Daredevil. So Hyde is carrying Daredevil in his arms and he just kicks over a police car, which I think is great. I love this panel. And so he escapes with uh, with Daredevil in his arms and he follows Cobra down into the sewer as Ben Urich is snapping all these pictures and everything. Then epilogue the following morning, we've got a uh, Foggy Nelson who's all excited to tell uh, Matt Murdock, his law partner, that uh, he and Debbie, I guess it must be his girlfriend, are getting married, and he's heading off to tell him, and he fails to notice the uh, the morning edition of the Daily Bugle that has a headline saying that Daredevil abducted by Cobra and Hyde feared dead, special to the Bugle by Ben Urich, and that's pretty much where the issue ends. So. It's not really that a lot happens in the issue. It is essentially just a fight issue. But damn, I enjoyed this. I Unlike really... what I covered, this is a good fight issue. Oh, this was awesome. This was so good. I mean, just, you know, like I say, not a lot in the story. It doesn't seem like it really advances the story much at all. I mean, it's essentially just these these three guys tussle. There's a lot of getting smacked around and then, you know, all that really happens is that Daredevil gets knocked out and taken away by the two bad guys. That's essentially what you take away from the issue. But it's how you get there. I mean, the art is just gorgeous. The The fight scenes are so good. And I really loved the part with uh, with Hyde being confronted by the cops. And he just kicks so just very casually as he has Daredevil in his arms, just casually like just kind of, you know, almost like you'd... Uh, you know, kick something out of your way. If you were walking through a room and there was like, you know, something, you know, like a kid's toy on the floor or something, you kind of boot it aside with your foot. That's essentially what he does here. And he, he overturns a cop car just by making that little casual gesture. I think that's great. Um, what I really liked about this though, was the art just so totally transported me back to reading the phantom zone as a kid i mean granted this is a good uh, about four years before that but uh i loved this i didn't realize that uh outside of that miniseries that colin and Dizaniga ever really worked together so i'm i'm honestly i'm gonna have to hunt up uh and see you know if, if these guys stayed an art team together for a while on daredevil because if they did then i've got to seek this stuff out because I, I just purely on an art level i really really liked it um and I, I mean i enjoyed the story as well it's just that there wasn't much for this particular issue wasn't much of a story but i enjoyed it i really uh i really was tickled to find that uh, that I enjoyed it this much because uh, you know, like I said before, Daredevil not usually my thing, but uh, this was a lot of fun. Although again, I, I think that Daredevil himself is written a, a bit generically. This could almost be any superhero in this fight in a lot of ways. I didn't really find a lot in it that gave him a distinct personality. Other than, you know, it was him using his superhero tricks. But in a lot of ways, this could have easily been Batman, Spider-Man. You know, it could have been a, a lot of other heroes. It wasn't really written with a with a distinct voice of the character, if you know what I mean. At least that was kind of my impression of it. I don't know. What did, what did you guys think? You want me to go or you want to go, Bill? 
Uh, I'll go. Well, whereas last time, like I said, when, when we started that, it was punchy, punchy, run, run. But yeah, this is punchy, punchy, run, run, done right. And uh, I held this back all through the synopsis. Cobra! Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I got that out of my system. Uh, yeah, this is some good stuff, especially with Gene Colan. Um, I particularly like the Mr. Hyde on page seven, bottom left panel. Mm-hmm. That that looks like Lon Chaney, Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really and and you know that going back to Gene Colan's taste for the horror comics. Yeah. You know, so it's it's really and uh, <laughs> of course of this uh, and then next uh, the next page uh, page ten of of the uh of the book i guess not not necessarily the art sequence but anyway um daredevil going out that splash page of hyde tossing him out the window and him going oh oh my god you know if that was done today it would just be omg (laughs) (laughs) and it would lose a lot of effect because the oh my god in three separate balloons is great (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes oh my god but would you really have to say like william shatner (laughs) (laughs) oh my God, <laughs> you got to love the drunk guy down at the bottom of the, of the uh, <laughs> as they're falling. But amazingly, he has enough time to get completely out of the way and all this stuff happens midair. And yeah, it's a little crazy with the midair uh, acrobatics, but still, still, it's, uh, you know, it's some fun. Now, you know, on the big splash page, do you see you can already see the flagpole that he's going to swing off of? Oh, yeah. Way down there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. They set it up right from the beginning. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I did not notice that before. You're right. Got a flagpole here. Now, the perspective uh... in that shot is great Mm -hmm. on the building that they're coming out of and the building that's at the top. But the building to the right of the page looks a little wonky. Yeah, with the broken glass covering it. Well, because the the angle of the front doesn't look quite right. No, it should be cocked. Like, the back of the building should be angled a little. Yeah. It's a little off, but it's forgivable. Oh, absolutely. You know, because still the, 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 the characters are spatially where they should be, unlike the other issue we looked at. And they actually have, you know, proportions like people. And muscles and definition. Although Hyde, considering he's closer to the camera, he looks like he has little chicken legs. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like, actually, you know what? He does kind of look like a little kid in, in that shot. Like in a big, he's a little... big, wearing his father's suit. Yeah, and he pushed Daredevil out the window. How did you say that? I didn't really notice that. (laughs) Come on, Mr. Daredevil. Whoa! Hard to believe he's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh, has Scott been watching that? Whoops. Are you talking about Mr. Hyde? Yeah. Yeah. Is he the dad? Yeah. Yep. I kind of wondered about that. And he's the dad in the comics as well. Has that been confirmed? She's Quake. And he's Quake's dad in the comics as well. Oh, okay. yeah, I, I they've that, they've actually that I did not know. Yeah, they've actually said his name, Calvin Zabo. Mm-hmm. That's uh, pretty cool. So, on in this book, I have to say I love the Gene Colan art. I really do, but I'm not quite as enamored with the Tony DiZaniga inking as you are. I think mm-hmm. it, it could have been a little tighter. I, I think there's points where where it's a little loose, and and I'm not as as thrilled with it. And maybe the problem is that I'm a little spoiled because to me the best best Gene Colan is in Tomb of Dracula, where he's being inked by Tom Palmer. Mm-hmm. And to compare anybody to Tom Palmer probably isn't fair to anybody because he's a great inker. The only people you know you compare him to are the all time greats. 
So it's probably unfair to Tony DiZuniga to, to have to hold him up to that level. But it's serviceable. It's decent. But I just think the inking could have been a little tighter. Uh, that said, there's a shot of uh, Cobra down at the last panel of page six where he looks downright spooky. Yeah, where he's getting um, clocked with the billy club. Yeah, just just the look on his face. I mean, it, 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 to me, that looks scary. Uh, the shot of uh, the shot of him in the second panel on page twenty one. Uh, it the chest symbol looks like the Spider Man heart on the cover of the issue when he, he and Mary Jane got married. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> the probably the biggest point where, like you know, you you commented on the. Uh, you know, that it's not totally believable, but you you forgive it the whole way he saves himself as he's falling. I'm kind of okay with that. I think the more unbelievable thing is that Mr. Hyde whipped him into the wall and he hit head first and he didn't have his bones crushed into dust. Right. I mean, this is a guy who flipped over a car with, you know, the flip of his ankle. And, and he, point, you know, he, yeah. he's in full motion throwing Daredevil into the wall. You would think, you know, at a minimum, a, a, a fractured skull. Yeah, they did say granite, bone against granite. Now, I do know, as I recall, that the uh, the book goes on that he ends up having, like, I think he has a bad concussion and he, he actually has some, some delusions and some issues that I don't remember if it's a fractured skull or not. Maybe it might even be. But he definitely had, a, at a minimum, a, a bad concussion as a result of it. If I, I remember sh- right, the team of Z- DiZuniga and Colin do not stay together in the series. No, I was just looking that up. Uh, I know Steve right, Leahola not. does an issue, and I think uh, Klaus Jansen comes on. Uh, I'm not sure who else is in there, but I, I think I think he, there's a few different inkers, and then I think Jansen stays for a while until you know he ends up inking Frank Miller. Not that long after this, maybe about 10 issues later. 10, 15. Uh, I mean, I, I love the artwork, but again, I, like I said, I, I'm just, it's not that I don't like the inking. I'm just not quite as high on it as you are. And I think the story is solid. I, I Again, it's punchy, punchy, run, run, but it's it's done well. Uh, you know, the they're actually, it's intelligent fighting it, and it, it's still fast paced at the same time. And, it, you know, you, you actually feel like the threat. And, and sometimes Cobra and Mr. Hyde are presented in a little bit of almost a, you know, the kind of the Laurel and Hardy of, of villains. Uh, right. But they're, they're presented here as, you know, basically credible and, and frightening to some extent. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Daredevil doesn't have super strength and he's, he, you know, he's able to uh, to withstand and, and fight, with, you know, hold up to the two of them. So I, I think it's, it's you know, it, it's just a solid issue. It, there's really, uh, I don't really have any serious criticism of it. My, my, Criticism is almost looking for something to complain about. <laughs> I'm trying to picture Oliver Hardy as Mr. Hyde. Look what you've done now. <laughs> and then Cobra just stands there scratching his head going. <laughs> <laughs> just picture the two of them in March of the Wooden Soldiers. And then they're both sitting in prison in the cell and, and Mr. Hyde goes, well, this is another fine mess you've gotten us into. So, uh, I don't know. Anybody got anything more on this one? Yeah, there was an interesting dialogue blunder on page seven where Hyde is tackling Daredevil to knock him out the window. He says, this time I'm going to ram your words right back down throat. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of your throat. 
Well, I could I could accept it as when he's in his Hyde persona, he's just not that bright. Right. Although in the ca- in the panel before, bah, I'm sick of your ridiculous repartee. Right. Sick of your insufferable taunts. Yeah, I you think you expect that to be coming out of Fraser Crane. <laughs> uh, Nigel is Cobra. No, I, I really did. I really liked this. Um, I might I might have to actually uh, seek out. A, I, I might even have the next issue for all I'm I'm aware. I'm not really sure. I have to look and see, but. Yeah, I was disappointed to see that the next issue is not the same team. Although it does continue with uh, Roger McKenzie and in, in, uh, or McKenzie rather, and Gene Colan, uh, the inker is Steve Lealoha, who I I like him as well. So I'll ha- I'm, if I have that issue, I'll have to check it out. But disappointed that it's not um, it's not the same team. What's funny is the issue after that. I think I have that issue too, where you've got. Uh, You've got Hercules and Captain America and Black Widow and everybody fighting Daredevil. A really nice. And I cover. think that may be a byproduct of his suffering the concussion and having like delusions. Ah, uh, okay. But the artist on that, or it's Frank, Frank Robbins. Robbins and Frank Springer. Yeah, I, don't know about <laughs> I think I have to pass on that one. Man, not so much. <laughs> not so much. I'm all over it. But yeah, I, I mean, just the fact that I picked this out completely at random and it was this art team, just it just made me so happy. It really did. I, I really got a kick out of this. I liked it a lot. So good pick. Good pick. Um, Going grades on this, the cover, hmm, that's a tough one. I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go an A minus on the cover. I really like it. There's a couple of wonky bits and everything, but that's kind of part and parcel of Gene Colan. So I tend to cut that a lot more slack than I would. Like when I was a kid, it's what's really funny is that it's so strange that over time I've become so enamored of Gene Colan because as a kid I couldn't stand his stuff. Whenever I would see Gene Colan, I was just like, this guy can't draw. And it really, it was a long time before I really came to to have just a completely opposite opinion that I see it very much as it's not so much that his anatomy is wonky and stuff is that he's drawing characters in motion. I see his stuff as very fluid and I like that. That's, that's what appeals to me about it now. Um, but the cover, the cover is really weird because the cover in a lot of ways takes me back to like a classic what what I'm really focusing on, strangely, in in this picture, is not so much the characters in the four. You know, I'm not concentrating on the hero and the villains. Is that the building below and all the people, the way they're standing around and the way they're dressed and the way they're kind of fleeing for their lives? Or you've got the guy standing next to the flagpole that's pointing up in the air. That reminds me so much of a classic Nick Cardi Superman cover. He would always do stuff like this in the background. And I always tended to focus more on what the people in the background were doing as opposed to the, what the hero was doing in the foreground. So I really like that. I think I'd give that an a, uh, a minus for the cover. Um, the story, man, that's it's tough to judge the story because, as I said, I just didn't think there was much of a story, really. Um you know, it, it, it's a chapter of a much larger story that I'm unfamiliar with. So I almost feel unfair even grading this story at all. I'll, I'll have to say, like, I don't know. I I'll you say it's graded on the merits of this issue. OK, um, I'll go a middle of the road C only because it's just a fight issue. You know, there, there's really not much story to it. So 
I don't want to be fair or unfair, you know, as far as, you know, giving it too much of a grade or too low a grade. So I'm going to go right in the middle of the road and say C. But where this issue is a total winner for me is the art. Um, I realize I'm not being completely objective, but I can't be objective when it comes to these two guys working together. This just so totally takes me back to Phantom Zone and just makes me so happy on a on a purely nostalgic level that I've got to give the art a straight up A plus. I loved this. This totally pushed the buttons for me. So yeah, I, I was thrilled with this on an artistic level because it's a, it's a, just it's an artistically driven issue. So yeah. Those are my grades. What do you guys think? Um, I like the cover. I'm slightly less than you. I'm I'm thinking a B. Uh, the positioning is not totally like it doesn't totally make sense. There's a couple of details that could have been a little bit more fleshed out. I do like, and I really hadn't focused on the people down below until you started talking about them, and I'm looking at that more closely. I like the fact that you 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 have to think. Obviously, they're just crashing through the window. So the people down below are just hearing this happen. Some of them instantly run. Other people are standing there kind of frozen in fear or just they haven't had a chance to do anything yet. And people are in different states at this moment. So I think that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it shows that, that some thought went into their positioning. Uh, just overall, it's, 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 it's a solid cover. And, and for me, a solid cover is a B. Uh, the interior art, I'm not quite as high on as you, again, because I think the inking is not totally as sharp as it could be. Uh, but I do think the Gene Colan art is beautiful. Um, I'm going to say a B plus on the interior. If, if the inking were a little better, this would be an A book for me. Uh, and story-wise, I'm a little higher on it than you are because, yes, it is a fight issue. But it's a fight issue where he, first of all, he, he gives you what they're thinking and what's going on. And there's, there's a logic to the fight through the whole thing that you can follow. So there's a, basically you're getting the story of the fight, which is more than just having people be punchy, punchy, run, run. So I'm going to say a B on the story as well. And overall, I'm giving the book a B plus. Hmm. Well, cover wise, I like this. And what's nice about this cover and covers this time frame, And actually in the last book we did as well, uh, probably a point, I, should have brought up then but didn't think of it till now was that this scene actually takes place in the comic yeah woohoo <laughs> you know although it's a little bit different because i don't think cobra was you know was outside of the building when this took place but still but you want to flag put cobra in the scene somewhere on the cover so you could yeah give a little yeah. artistic license on that yeah plus Co cover daredevil is gonna die because there's no flagpole beneath him exactly yeah that's dead. Dead. No, he no. He'll swing over and he'll grab that uh, street sign pole, that whatever that 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 light pole with the. He'll just grab that and then smash into the hood of the car right below it. He's or half just, as many. He's half as many stories up as in this story too. Oh yeah, maybe he'll land on a fat guy. Pooh, <laughs> oh, cushion my fall. But um, and it's got it's got dialogue on the cover too. I kind of miss that too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's. I was going to say it's a nice throwback, but this was what was coming out at the time. But it's nice to it's nice to see that again. Um, so cover wise, I'm going to give the cover mm, I'm going to give it a B plus. Um, the story, like like Paul said, is that it does you you get the fight, but you get the what's going on in their head. It's 
it draws it brings more to the story than just like the last one which was just punch punch run run no no real no no meat to it i mean and like i said before my favorite shot is is the uh the little kid throwing daredevil out the window <laughs> the the little kid hide <laughs> um so story i'm gonna go probably a b in the art i i have no no real complaints with the art i mean i i sound like i'm just being mr agreeable um with everybody else but i have gotten a new understanding of gene colin's art um from you guys from reading other stuff that he's done from the show so um it just really looks there's there's so much more detail in the faces and in everything and in the backgrounds compared to the other issue we just did so I, i'm gonna have to give this art uh probably a probably a a minus so overall it looks like i'm like right on the like a b plus overall for the book sweet truncate silence <laughs> all right so we got uh scott did his book i did my book i guess we're done hey i got a book but your bookless bill no not bookless bill oh i just closed did you my pick book. a daredevil book i just closed my book damn it there we go <laughs> you oh, have a you're... daredevil book what we had to bring a daredevil book i thought this, this is was... our shameless obligatory coattails writing daredevil episode well i went outside the box and i you brought know... Well, maybe you should get back in this, the box. If this wasn't, if this isn't too spoilerific, I think we have a new segment. I think this segment should be called "What If Bill Brought a Book." <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right. What if Bill did bring a book? What book would it be? It would be "What If." <laughs> isn't that ironic? <laughs> this is. What if with Dr. Bill? <laughs> no, I chose a Daredevil what if story, and I picked what if Karen Page had lived. And I don't this... use Daredevil's name in that title. Yeah, but Karen Page is a Daredevil character. Okay. He's on the cover. Oh, that's him? Okay. Yeah, above um, the dead kingpin. You see him there? You see him there, the big guy in the red with the horns with the double Ds on his chest? Well, that didn't sound right. The double D's on his chest. It sounds like he had a transgender operation or something. <laughs> That's a whole different type of daredevil. All right. I, I've completed my bust Dr. Bill's chops uh, quota, quota. For, for this episode. So I'm going to let you just do your synopsis now. All right. Well, my book I picked was a what if. And I went with what if Karen Page had lived. And this technically, uh, well, since this is a coattails writing, we don't really stick to the to the 10 year rule, but it still comes just under the wire in the 10 year back to the bins rule. And, uh, cause this was covered eight February, 2005 on sale date, December 29th, 2004 cover price two ninety nine. Oh man. You know, if books were two ninety I'd probably still buy more hint, hint Marvel, uh, but they don't care. Cover credits is Michael Lark. He is also the interior artist. And on the cover, we have What If Karen Page Had Lived, and we have a enraged, Daredevil was enraged, and ripped Wilson Fisk lungs out. Um, I'm sure somebody will get that reference. I get it. Oh, really? I get it, Eddie Murphy. Okay. <laughs> and he is looming above what appears to be the body of Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin. 
And uh, Brian Michael Bendis is our writer. Uh, like I said before, Michael Lark is the artist. Letterer is Corey Pettit. Colorist, Dave Stewart. And editor is C.B. Sibilski. Somewhere in New York, three men sit at a diner counter. The bald man in the center sips a cup of coffee and begins to comment on the news in the local paper concerning the headlines about Matt Murdock being Daredevil. He has it on good authority that the news is true. In fact, he seems to know much about Matt and his career as the Daredevil. And he, be, and he tells us his beginnings, his long struggles, and the steadying influence of one Karen Page. The stranger tells the final moments of Karen's life to his companions, as she apparently shielded Matt from his own billy club that the hitman Bullseye had tossed at him. Taking the club to her heart, she died, and those events have led Matt to where he is now. But the patron asks a different question, though. What if Karen Page had not died that day? What if she had lived? Later, after the same confrontation, we see that Karen did live as the Billy Club had went a centimeter to the right or the centimeter to, led, to the left, but she has been left bedridden and possibly at this time in a coma. Matt stands over her. He learns eventually of how the Kingpin sold his identity to Quentin Beck, whom had triggered these events. Still, though, it always came back to the Kingpin. Having not completely lost Karen, Matt becomes more angry and depressed and goes into a rage and confronts the Kingpin. And he is blinded and in blinded by that same rage in a split second, throws his billy club into Wilson Fisk's throat, killing him. Matt begins to go to the police to confess, but finds that even in, de in death, Fisk was one final step ahead of him. In case of his untimely death, certain documents concerning Matt in his career as Daredevil are released and the bought and paid for wheels of justice begin to roll against him even before he can confess. At the trial, Matt's good friend Fro Foggy was there to defend him. Character witnesses such as, such as Dr. Stephen Strange, Reed Richards, Captain America Steve Rogers, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage testify on Matt's behalf. In the end, though, it wasn't enough because what the jury was left with was the image of a man dressed in a devil costume murdering another man in his own home. When Matt is led from the courtroom, he is glad that his father isn't alive to see his personal shame. It is also the last time he will ever see Karen as she breaks down and cries that he was innocent. She disappears and even Foggy loses track of her. Foggy himself tries to appeal Matt's case, but to no avail. Eventually, he is disbarred for his partnership with Matt. The papers occasionally report over the years that Matt is attacked in prison, but that is a lie. That is not true. Matt was the man who killed the penguin and as such was never bothered or touched in prison. He was occasionally visited by S.H.I.E.L.D. over the years to help on cases and never questions why his sentence was reduced from 44 years to 15. And in the end, when he's finally free, we see him in a page shot that was reminiscent of the opening of the book to where he was standing on a street corner in a happy time in his life with Karen at his side. And here we see the broken, sad, gray-haired Matt Murdock on the same corner looking down as he walks the end. Did he really kill the penguin? Did I say penguin? I didn't say penguin, did I? <laughs> the recording will tell. Matt was the man who killed the penguin and as such was never bothered or touched in prison. Before I said kingpin. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Penguin kingpin. Uh, you know. <laughs> I like I like that the watcher was kind of incognito here. 
at, at first that he was uh, dressed as as Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> okay, I guess you got me. Is there. that supposed to be the Watcher? Yeah, in the book. Yeah, in the diner. Oh, okay. I did. Oh, like, oh, what you thought it was Bendis, baby? I think I think it's drawn to look like Bendis. Yeah, that's mm. what I thought too. I didn't know. I didn't know if it was a character from daredevil or what but there was a couple of times when i saw him i'm like i think that's brian michael bendis well yeah i guess bendis is bald isn't he yes he is well i guess you could say it could be bendis because he does say i do have it on good authority so maybe the watcher told him but i took him him as well, maybe because he's the writer well yeah 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 <laughs> well you know well, I mean. was the watcher still a part of uh of what if at this time because didn't they drop the whole watcher angle at one point in what if yeah, no, I think they did. Well, no, I don't know. I thought he came and went here and there. I because I remember him being in in some other what ifs. Yeah, I mean, it came and went is kind of not you know it's dropping him as as the only thing. Right. They, they use him when it's convenient. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you could read it either way here. It's not it's not completely clear. I guess it could be Bendis or it could be the Watcher. I took it as the Watcher, but I but I see your guys' point. Um, I've read this storyline. When it first came out, but it's that so we're talking ten years ago, and I haven't read it since then. So I do vaguely remember this. I don't remember all the back details, and usually, you know, what if they don't give you all the back details anyway? You know, they just give you the the final, you know, thing what what that happened, and then the twist. So, so instead of Matt going in, into depression, he gets more pissed off and in a rage because she's still alive and critically injured, and you know. A lapse in judgment, and he takes out the kingpin. I guess he crushed his trachea with with his billy club. Right. Yeah. You know, because that's a that's pretty pretty gruesome, pretty graphic. Um, I do like that opening splash page with kind of the retelling of like like in in the one page. It has pretty much his whole life, but it seems like is it me or does this seem more like? Although they have Jack Murdoch there or in. Uh, the upper hand corner, but it seems like it's a more a, a retelling of um, Frank Miller's version of Daredevil. If you look at everything that's on this page, you got Bullseye, you've got Electra, you've got Stick, you've got the Hand. Um, was Stiltman in the Miller run? I don't remember him in the Miller run off the yeah, top of my head. I, but I, don't, I, mean, I think he was too silly to be in the Miller run. It just seems like it's Miller heavy, which I you know that has been a, a big influence on the character. So I mean, I guess guess you can see that. Um, the shot where Karen, uh, the other splash where Karen has died and, um, and, and he, he's holding her in the church. That's a, that's a nice shot as well. I'm not familiar. I didn't look up what else this artist has done. Are you guys familiar with what he has done? No. Mr. Lark. Yeah. He, that name sounds, didn't he do, uh, like Gotham central or something like that? Hmm. Then that name. I'll I'll look at. Keep talking. I'll look it up. It, he that's. It sounds very familiar to me. I've I know I've seen his stuff around before. Hmm. There are some really good shots. I think you pointed those out. Uh, and the story is well laid out. Uh, it's well paced. It, it it moves right along. The storytelling is is pretty sharp actually. Uh, but this is not my style of art. It's definitely more muddy than what I like and and. Uh, darker than what I like. Sometimes the the darkness causes it to lack detail. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely a fan of a cleaner art style than this. But that said, uh, my complaints about it are purely stylistic. That just, you know, as far as what I like and what I don't like. But I can see where technically this is really, really well done. Well, I really like that uh, the two uh, the two panels that juxta uh, that are in a juxtaposition to each other, the one at the beginning and the one at the end with the same shot of him on the corner. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because- it, like, again, I mean, like I said, from a technical point of view, I think it's it's terrific. It's just that, you know, my own personal tastes tend towards a tighter, cleaner art style. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the darker art fits the mood of the book, too, though. Yeah. It does. It does. It, it's definitely fitting the the storyline. And because, again, it's it's not like the art keeps me from enjoying it because of the darkness. In fact, I I, I can appreciate a lot of aspects of the art uh, from a, from a uh, like a, from an anatomy point of view. Everybody seems to be really well laid out uh, from a perspective point of view. And we've had some perspective issues with the last two books. I don't see any of those problems here. Uh, from a storytelling point of view, it moves right along. It moves briskly, and, and you're following what's going on very well. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's just a, a, a little bit of the the muddiness to it that just isn't my own personal taste. But what that's my you... only criticism of it is that just from purely from a uh, an aesthetic point of view. What did you think, as someone who's been in Times Square, I've only been there like once, what did you think of the – because there's, there's, there's another splash that where – Basically, Matt Murdock is plastered all over Times Square, and you've got a shot of Iron Man flying through Times Square, looking up at one of the one of the video screens. You know, it's saying Murdock is Daredevil, arrested for murder of Kingpin, blah blah blah, and you you see all the people walking through and all the stuff in the background. I mean, what's your opinion on that, based on someone who's been there and probably seen it more often than me? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I've seen it more often than you, and I have been there and. And, and that's how it feels, the way that picture is. If you're in Times Square at night... Uh, it feels on, on big, a, but it also feels claustrophobic to me. Oh, absolutely, because there's people all over. You try to walk down the street, especially... I mean, you know, like, like uh, I've been in Times Square where we have tickets for a show, and, and you park your car, and you try, you know, you take forever to drive through Manhattan to get to, to a place to park, because the traffic in Manhattan is, is a nightmare. Then you park your car, and, and you're, you're running a little bit late, and you're trying to get through the streets, and there's people exactly the way it's shown in this picture, and you're trying to maneuver your way through, and, and it's impossible, and it, it's just, it is, there is a claustrophobic feel to it, uh, and, and especially at night, the lights are like that, it, 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 it is, it, de- it definitely captures the feel of Times Square at night on a busy, you know, on a busy night, uh, it's shown in a way where everything's a little tighter than it is in real life as far as the signs and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, it definitely captures the feel very well. Uh, this And the story the story is interesting. The, the only p- aspect of it that kind of leaves me flat is why wouldn't he have done the same thing when she died? <laughs> like why did her living make him more livid than her dying? Well, the way they explained it in the story was that it was because – that he could deal like with the loss of her, it's final. This is like, all right, you know, like if somebody, I don't want to compare a human being to a dog, but if somebody, all right, if somebody, if somebody hurt your daughter or your son and they I don't even like this as a hypothetical, but yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's go back to the dog then. If, if somebody hurt your dog and your dog didn't die, but was injured, 
you would be constantly reminded of that, and and I think you would be angry about it, and it would seethe and build up more than a loss to where somebody actually died. Although, I mean, that's a fine line. I mean, because I think I would be pretty pissed if somebody killed my my dog as well. And, and you know, I don't know. I I think it's just just with uh, just the way Bendis wanted to write it. On yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the biggest logic weakness to the story is it doesn't make sense to me that he'd be more enraged by her living than he would but with her dying. But other than that, just accepting he reacted differently uh, for whatever reason. Uh, if As long as I can overlook that aspect of it, I do like the way the story played out. I like the fact that the kingpin is one step ahead of him even in death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I think that, that has a, a sense to it. I, I also think, though, that that if something like this, if this really were a true thing, and and you had Cap, uh, Steve Rogers up there as a character witness and Reed Richards as a character witness, uh, I'm not sure that that you'd get anything more than say manslaughter for this. Well, he got manslaughter. That's oh, what he okay. Got. There you yeah. go. I, I uh, sorry about I that. I, I don't. Was... I don't know why they they threw the book on him. I mean, you know, the, as far as sentencing, then. Yeah, he got 44 years for manslaughter. I mean, that seems kind of. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not up on what the. Uh the penalty is on on these maybe steve rogers should have cared enough to take his jacket off when he was maybe it was fine <laughs> maybe it was cold oh, poor little baby's cold <laughs> hey that steve rogers looks like hey, if you were on ice for 70 years you might get the chills once in a while too you know he's afraid of air conditioning on uh whatever it is page 20 at the top left is that peter parker I could. I wasn't sure either, but I, I was thinking Rick Jones. But but maybe that is Peter Parker. I couldn't think why Rick Jones would be there, but it makes more sense that it was Peter Parker. You think Which they would page? have shown him with a camera or something? Which page? Twenty. Uh, twenty. Page twenty. During the trial. Oh, I, you know what I just noticed? What? One of the bailiffs that takes him out. His name looks like his name's Brubaker. Oh, you're right. There's another one on the other one. I can't read it. Oh, Rucka. Rucka. All right, that's interesting because Rucka, Rucka. <laughs> Rucka wasn't Rucka the <laughs> wasn't he the writer on Gotham Central? Because I was right on that, by the way. What this guy did work on Gotham Central. Did Rucka be, write that? That may be true. And that's... then Brubaker worked on on Daredevil. Okay, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, are you wondering about the the kid in the jacket yeah. right behind Ben Urich right there? Yes. Yeah, I don't know about Peter. Yeah, well, by the hair, yeah, I that thought could be, I, that could be Peter I thought Parker. Rick Jones, but I don't see why. But yeah, I, I, I mean, because he's got the Rick Jones hair, kind of, right. and like he's wearing a jacket. Because I think Parker would have would be dressed differently. Yeah, I would think so. I'm I'm inclined to think it's Parker, but yeah, you guys may be right. I'm Rick Jones, bitch. <laughs> nobody, so how you rating it, Bill? Nobody messes with Daredevil in prison. They don't even come near him. He's the man who killed the ping, the penguin. <laughs> killed him again? <laughs> Did I really say penguin? Yeah, you're gonna have to listen when the episode posts to find out for sure. What the hell is wrong with but Luke yes, Cage? You did. What? Maybe it was a DC crossover. What, what is, is that? wrong with Luke Cage? Where what do you mean what's wrong with him? <laughs> when he's on the stand? Yeah, he looks like Luke Cage is being played by Clayface in this uh Oh yeah. Well, that's that's part of the muddy art style. Man, he's looking rough. Who's the woman supposed to be? Is that the Black Widow? I, well, it's either that's that or I Jessica Jones. I was thinking Black Widow since she was his uh, paramour. Isn't, Je- isn't doesn't Je- 
is it Jones have red hair too? Yes, she does. Yeah, but See, why I... would she be taking the stand in? Uh... But does the carpet match the drapes? <laughs> <laughs> well, it says all the heroes of the city. Is she? She's not considered a New York hero, is she? I mean, I guess she's an Avenger. Everyone's I... a New York hero, Bill. Every Marvel superhero is a New York hero. At least at that back in you know yeah. the seventies they were. No, they were San Franciscan. And then they went back to New York. <laughs> they didn't last there. Aren't aren't the X Men still in the San Francisco? I, I don't know. It's it's hard. They started in Westchester. <sighs> you can take the mutant out of New York, but you can't take New York out of the mutant. <laughs> I'm mutating here. No. Genosha. God bless you. Brumpa. <laughs> All right, my grade. Unless one of you guys wants to grade first. Or, well, since it's my book, I guess I'll grade first. Uh, cover? Eh. <laughs> uh, I, I would like this cover better if they didn't have the cityscape underneath at the bottom. They should have just left it, like, just get rid of those buildings. Or put them, you know. I think this show is all about perspective tonight. And I think if they had, like, had a cityscape but turned on a different angle... Like the penguin laying on the city. I, I just don't like who? Who? God damn <laughs> What do you got? Some kind of subliminal message in my head? Oh. He he was under his alias, P. N. Gwyn. I'm giving a cover an A. I'm moving on. <laughs> really? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not giving a cover an A. You just got me. I don't know because maybe in my world, an A is a B. Who knows? Because I can't say. Because Kingpin is the penguin. Kingpin, penguin, pin king, kingwin, whatever. Ah, man. Anyway, uh, I would have liked to seen the cover maybe a little bit different. Um, like I said, lay the kingpin across the cityscape instead of just. It just looks like it's thrown in at the bottom for you know. I don't. I don't think it needed to be there. So, cover-wise, I'm going to give it uh, B-minus for the cover. It's, you know, it's good, but it's not that good. Um, story, I like the stories. I like pretty much every what-if story I've ever read. There's been a few exceptions that are kind of just like, eh? Um, I can... Fr- <laughs> more more like, what the... You know, instead of what if. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I'll kind of defend the the reason for him getting pissed off and going after the kingpin that, well, that's the whole point of what if is, you know, he just made a different decision in, in a certain mindset. And so that's, that's going to be my defense for that. So story, I'm actually going to give this story. I'm going to give it an a minus. Um, the art, the art is, uh, in some place. Yeah. In, in scenes where it's really dark, like when he goes up against the kingpin, there's not a lot of uh, of detail, but it's it's at night, so you're not going to have that much detail. Um, there are a few other ones that I like where after he's killed the kingpin, I don't really like that splash right there. It's some of the detail is washed out. I see what you're saying with that, Paul, because you think there would be a maybe a little bit more in that particular shot. Now most of the daytime scenes aren't too bad. Um, but overall, on the art, I think I'm going to give the art a B minus as well. Um, so I guess that makes this about a B plus. I guess that's where I'm looking. All right. I'll say you use use guys. What you think, Scott? Uh, I don't like the cover. 
This is just kind of... Is that because the penguin's on it? <laughs> it's just kind of symptomatic of uh, of modern comics. I, I just don't care for this this style of, of comic cover. It really... Eh. It just doesn't really work for me. So, on the cover, I'm going to say... Ah, man, I don't, it's really tough. I'm going to say D. I'm really not crazy about the cover on this at all. Because it, it it doesn't do anything for you. It's mis, mismatched images. It's armless daredevil looming large over, you know, this... <laughs> he actually looks like Fat Wong to me is what he looks like. <laughs> Wong really let himself go. Yeah, he is wearing yeah. green pants and like a green robe. And he's that got like, like a, a comfortable robe, though. He's got a tattoo of California on his chest. What the hell is that all about? I don't, I don't understand what that is at all. And then, yeah, I didn't even notice the city thing at the bottom until you pointed that out. But yeah, it looks like he's like been impaled on the top of a spire or something. It's just really bizarre. Yeah, it doesn't work at all. Um, the interior art, while it is functional and while you know it it has great layout design i've got to completely agree with paul this just is not my preferred style of art i mean again there, there's no denying that you know there's some very nice layout work going on here that uh splash of elements of daredevil's origin and backstory is great. I mean, it's really, really nice as far as the layout goes. I just don't care for the finished art because it doesn't look finished to me. It, it's like somebody sketched it and then was like, nah, to hell with it. And then just decided to color it and print it. It, it does. It just has a an unfinished look that I'm really not crazy about. Plus that hyper real look when it comes to the comic book world, I think it makes silly look sillier. And so, yeah, I, I'm not crazy about that. I think that's part of the charm and appeal and magic of comic books is you have to kind of keep them slightly, at least slightly unrealistic, because when you the more realistic you make them, the more the absurd looks that much more absurd, if you know what I mean. So I, I'm not crazy about this particular art style when applied to superhero comics. Now, if this art style was applied to a straight up uh, crime story, you know, crime comics or something, then yeah, it'd be it'd be great. It would work perfectly for that. But when you've got these guys in tights running around fighting each other, it just it, it doesn't quite work. It, well, it looks a little silly. Okay, but granted, Daredevil is in tights and he is defined as a superhero he is more of a street level and this would kind of i don't know i would think that it would you know kind of be better for this than you, you know like if this style was done for 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 the fantastic four or for the justice League. right yeah i mean well, I I'll, think... I'll, I'll grant you that i mean because when you get past the page of the fight in the church for the most part, the rest of the art works, even when Daredevil's in his costume. So, yeah, I I get what they're going for here. They're going for a much more gritty art style, a much more real world. But again, you know, with this being the superhero universe, then when those fantastic elements do pop up, like Iron Man over Times Square, or even when the the superhero witnesses take the stand... I just think it, it look it 
it looks silly. Maybe that's you why know, they put Cap in a jacket. Yeah, you're, you're shining too much of a spotlight on the silly aspects that your art style is meant to be toning down in the first place. At least that's how I take it. Um, so, you know, that said, you know, the, the art critique out of the way, I actually dug this story. It was nice for me because you know, this was one of the very few uh, Daredevil eras I was familiar with, one of the few original storylines that I have read. So I was familiar with how the main story played out in you know the 616 universe so i understood the twist of the of the what if here and i rather liked it although i thought that i I think that if this was not just a single issue story then i think that uh it would have played out differently because i really expected uh murdoch to jump bail or you know, something to, to fight harder or something, but he just seems like he kind of resigns himself. Well, I killed the Kingpin. So now I gotta, you know, I gotta face the music about the whole thing. And while there's a certain, you know, heroism to that act itself, it it just, I don't know. It it seemed a little bit strange, but I don't want to nitpick it too much because ultimately I really liked this. I, I really enjoyed the story. I thought the story was pretty good. Um, this was one of the things about what if one of the tropes of what if that I always enjoy because you never really knew where they were going to go because, you know, picking something like this up and, and knowing how it goes, like say with a tragic story, like the death of Gwen Stacy, there was always that, that thought of, you know, am I going to pick this up and Peter's going to get the happy ending, you know, that if, if she'd lived, Oh, you know, man, if she'd have lived, everything had worked out. They'd have lived happily ever after. Or if she'd lived, man, how much more messed up would his life be? It's actually kind of a good thing that she didn't live kind of thing. So you never knew what you were going to get. And I liked that about what if. And that was kind of the thing with this is that, you know, if she had lived, as we see here, then Matt Murdock would have you know, gone off to jail for 15 years and uh, and that would have been the end of Daredevil because, you know, what I'm left to gather by that final page is by the time he gets out, you know, he's he's an old pudgy guy that's, you know, his Daredevil days are long behind him at this point. At least that's how I kind of took it here. So, yeah, you know, he, he kind of winds up in a lot of ways, uh, you know, that much more tragic a character because her living was not... You know, it didn't play out well for him because doesn't it say that he never saw her again? He doesn't know what became of her or what? Yeah, yeah. Right after, um, right at the end, end of the trials, the last time she just disappears. They don't know where she got, where she went. You know, yeah. she probably went back to drugs and yeah. just went off somewhere and died. Unfortunately. Yeah, so I think that's sad. Well, in the so. other book, though, beforehand she had been like a whore. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she, she had been addicted to drugs. Um, she was a whore. Good riddance. I mean, uh, yeah, it's sad. <laughs> You're all heart, dude. So did, you didn't give a, a an actual grade to the story, though, Scott? Oh, for the story, um, I'm gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say a, I'll give, I'll give it a straight up B. I thought it was pretty good. It's it's not really my cup of tea, you know. The with, you know, it, it's a little dark and all that, but. I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was a good read while I was reading it. What's what really surprised me, I think, more than anything else about this 
was that it's a Brian Michael Bendis story that I actually had to read. <laughs> and that really surprised me. There's more words. Yeah, you're on right. That splash page, <laughs> that origin splash page. There are more words on that one page than some, than full some of his runs. Done. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was kind of impressed by that, that, you know, the guy can write, just often chooses not to. <laughs> I, I usually find, if anything, his his books are like sometimes too dialogue heavy. Really, he just has people talking and talking, and it's like let's actually do something. Yeah, there's a lot of talk and piffy dialogue back and forth, and a lot of thought bubbles. And Look there's how really, clever I am. Yeah, there's really not. This is this is not that. Well, if that's a good definition. <laughs> this is not that. It's something else. So overall, what do you think? What's your what's your letter? Me? Yep. You gave your your cover, your art, and your story. What's your overall? Um, I gotta drag this out of you tonight. I mean, I what I say, I gave the the cover a D, the art a D, the story a B. I don't know what the hell's that average out to. Maybe a C. Maybe C minus. Yeah, maybe. But that, what's funny though is then that seems, you know, C just seems like yeah, it's an average well, book. C is I average. thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was. You know, I thought it was slightly above average. So I'd say. Uh, I'd say a. C plus B minus somewhere in there because I, I thought it was, I actually enjoyed the story. I just don't like the style of art. Yeah, well, I'm 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 with you. Uh, I thought your 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 description of the cover was kind of apt that it's it's mismatched images together, uh, and and I don't like the art style personally. Uh, the only thing that I give the cover a real plus for is that it does set the tone for the story. That I'll give it, but I don't like it. It's not not my style. I don't like. I think I think it could have been done much much better. I think a, a little bit of thought and and they could have come up with a a cover layout that would have been superior to what they ended up settling on. Do you you think if they had a Matt Murdock or they had a Daredevil the same size as the Kingpin with him on his knees sitting next to him looking down with his head down it might have been a better way to go? Like I'm, a, I'm having a tough time picturing that in my mind as a cover. Uh, so I'm not sure, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I just think that there's there's covers that would have made this more intriguing and appealing and something that I'd be more likely to want to get. And I just feel like if your title is "What if Karen Page has lived," you probably should have Karen Page somewhere on the cover. Uh, it's that's just the way I'm I'm thinking of it. So the cover, I'm gonna say D. I, I, I'm not wild about it. Uh, the story, when I think about it, it's really kind of a one-note story. Uh, it's, okay, he got angry, so he killed the kingpin. <laughs> That's the story. Um, but it, it's entertaining, and, it, and it, was, it was a good read, if not a meaty read, but a good read. So I'm going to give the story a B. The artwork, uh, I think, Scott, I think you hit it on the head that it, the layouts are really high quality and it's just the final renderings that are the issue and again i think the the angles that he took the storytelling choices that he made the pacing of the story i think they're all really really solid so it comes down to style it really that's that's all all the difference in the world on this cover on this book rather on the art in the book now for me personally this is not an art style that i like so I'm going to give credit for all the technical things that I think are good, uh, but I'm going to take away from my own personal taste, and I'm going to give the art a C plus. 
but I really think that if you don't mind this darker, muddy, less detailed style, uh, that it's probably a B plus for you, not for me. Uh, so overall, I'm going to give the book a C plus. Truncate, baby. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I think that's a fair grade. I really do. Yeah. And and like Bill, pretty much all the what if books I read, I enjoy. As long as I know or have some familiarity with the story that it's branching off of. Mm-hmm. Right. There are some yeah. what if stories that are dealing with stories where I'm not familiar with the source material and I can't adequately grade them for that reason. But for the most part, I like almost all the what if books. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that. I was thinking, like, have I ever read a what if story? I was just like, Ugh, that was awful. And off the top of my head, I can't think of it. I mean, I know I've read some that were definitely better than others. There's been some that were a little lackluster, but I don't think I've ever read one where I just actively disliked it after I read it either. At least not that I can recall off the top of my head. Some of them are downright great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, we've been on for quite a while. So, Bill, say something funny so we can cut out. Bozdy bozdy bop, diddy bop. There we go. <laughs> I didn't say very funny. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I've been eating a lot of ice and I ate too much ice and it numbed my mouth. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. I'm sorry. I will not chew ice before I do my book anymore because it just is terrible.